you would, open up your Bibles with me now to Romans chapter 5. As we continue our study through this epistle, now into the fifth chapter, with a message entitled, The Blessing of Justification. Romans chapter 5, with the blessings of justification, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Shall we pray? Father, such wonderful verses today, Lord, before us. Pray that you would enlighten us, open our eyes and our understanding to all that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. It was in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul presented an open and shut case that all mankind is guilty before God, that there is none righteous, none that seeks after God, but all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. We were in a hopeless condition, in condemnation, with no ability to save ourselves, Then we came to chapter 3, and we read that in the midst of our hopeless condition, God intervened. God provided a way whereby we could be saved and declared righteous. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross for our sins. And now, by faith, if you trust in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, then you are justified, declared righteous, just as if you had never sinned. The penalty of our sin has been paid for and we're no longer slaves, but free to serve God. Then in chapter four, Paul proved that we are justified by faith by presenting a living example in the life of Father Abraham. How that Abraham was justified by faith 430 years before the law was given. Justified by faith long before he underwent the process of circumcision. Because he believed in the promises of God. But now as you come to chapter 5, knowing what the doctrine of justification is, how we have access to it, the apostle now points out the blessings that follow. As if being justified wasn't enough already. What else is made available to the believer? And this is important to ask because people might ask you, what's, what's the big deal about being a Christian? I mean, you guys carry around 20-pound Bibles and, you know, wear suits and ties and wear big crosses and, and always go to church on days when you should be sleeping in. What's so great about being a Christian? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. It says here, In chapter 5, verse 1, the first blessing made available to us who are justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
It says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that Paul begins with the word therefore, which connects his future statements to his previous statements. Because we are currently, right now, presently justified by faith, what follows is peace with God. The Bible makes it clear that before a person is saved, before they are born again, before they enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that they're at war with God, an enemy of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, and you, being in time past, alienated and enemies in your mind and in your evil works. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us in verse 7, he said, the carnal mind is enmity or at war with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. There are those today who are aggressively opposed to, at war with the living God. They seek to remove him from every area of culture, society, to pass legislation that would keep him from the classroom, the workplace, and now attempting to take him out of the church. Aggressively opposed, fighting against God. Then there are those who take more of a neutral position. They would say that they're not at war with God. They don't have any outward feelings of hatred toward a supreme being in the universe, not actively nor aggressively attacking his word or his work. They would say that they are neutral. They're neither for him nor against him. They are undecided. But to be undecided is to be decided. To not be for him is to be against him. There is no neutral ground with the Lord. You have to decide which side that you're on. You're either serving the Lord today or you're serving Satan, the Bible says. You either live for the Lord or you live for yourself. There is no middle ground. There is no walking the fence. God's word declares if you seek to take a neutral position, you're actually at war with God. And I want to say this to you today. If you are at war with God, it's a battle you will never win. You cannot win the war against God. You can surrender or be conquered. I would encourage you to surrender. When you come to Christ, when you receive him as your savior, you are justified by faith and you are now no longer at war with God, but you are at peace with God. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter one in verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace with God. How? Through the blood of his cross. We are brought into a place of peace with God because of the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ. The Bible tells us further that Jesus actually is our peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, it says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Not only are we at peace with God, but another added benefit is that we are provided with the peace of God. The peace of God. Jesus said it to his disciples in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi concerning this peace of God when he said, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians 3, concerning the peace of God, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. Friend, are you at peace with God today? Are you experiencing the peace of God? Have you hit a rough patch? Are you in a troubled season? Listen, there is peace that actually surpasses understanding, a peace that will be like a garrison around your heart protecting you. It's available to you. I remember that quotation I read so long ago. It says, no God, no peace. No God, no peace. And what a difference a few letters makes. But what a difference the Prince of Peace makes within your life. Because you are justified by faith and believing, you have peace with God. But the second blessing is you have access to the grace of God. Look at what it says in verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The word access is a word that's made up of two words in the Greek language. To bring and facing. It's used of a person who brings another person into the presence of a third party. The word is also used to mean a landing stage. It gives us the picture of a haven or a harbor. The word is used of a landing stage as a ship comes into port. It comes into this place of safety, directed into a harbor. It's secure in its position. Folks, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He washes away our sins with his own blood, clothes us, in his robes of righteousness, and then presents us, brings us into full access of favor with God the Father. The idea of having access to God was foreign to the Jewish mind. It was there on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament that the Lord told Moses to restrain the people, hold them back from trying to come up onto the mountain lest they die. Then when they constructed the tabernacle and eventually built the temple, it was built in order that the people could have a place to come and meet with God. But even there, strict boundaries were put in place. The Gentiles could only go into the court of the Gentiles. To go beyond that 
would be to be put to death. The women could go into the court of the women further than the Gentiles. Then the men could go a little bit further than Gentiles and women, but even for them, there were boundaries set as it related to access into the presence of God. The high priest, only one day a year, could actually go beyond the veil between the holy place and the holiest of all places into the very representation of the throne room of God where the Ark of the Covenant sat and he had to have the blood of the Lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat. He would go into the presence of God. They didn't have that kind of access. But now, when Jesus died, folks, everything changed. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died, listen carefully, so that we could pass beyond the veil. The very day that Jesus died on the cross, the gospel records for us that the veil in that temple that separated the holy place from the holiest of all places, listen, it was ripped from top to bottom. It was a work of God not a work of man, which would have been from the bottom to the top. In other words, the father, once the son had died, opened up access to the very throne of God. You have access into this grace, this new standing. Formerly, we stood in condemnation. Now we stand in grace that we have access to. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, a great commentary on what I just described. It says this, therefore, brethren, having boldness, therefore, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, his body, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Folks, think about it today. Because you've been justified by faith, you not only have peace with God, but you have access to the presence of God. He's not limited to location. God doesn't live in this building. He lives in his people. And you have access anytime you desire to come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise to bring your needs and petitions and present them to him. And he's, he's got open arms saying anytime that you need, you can come boldly to the, it says this, the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. Remember, this grace that we have access to, it puts us in a right standing with God, but also Grace enables us to stand. It enables us to stand. I'm not saved by grace and then preserved by my effort. I am preserved by God's grace. I stand before you today by the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God at work within our lives, none of us would be able to stand. When I think of God's grace enabling to stand I have experienced personally God's grace that has enabled me to stand when I did not think I could. Have you experienced that, friend? The grace of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for that. I think of what Paul was told when he petitioned the Lord to remove his physical infirmity. He called it a thorn in the flesh in 2 
Corinthians. In fact, three times he prayed that God would take it away. And the Lord didn't take it away. But he responded and said this, my grace is sufficient for you. And for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's grace enough to enable us to stand. We have access this morning to God's unmerited, undeserved favor by faith. Peace with God, access to the grace of God, but that's not all. We also have joy in hope of the coming glory of God. Look at what it says in verse two. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now you have peace with God. That takes care of your past. You have access to the grace of God. That takes care of the present. And you have hope of the coming glory of God. That takes care of the future. Everything's taken care of. One day, when we pass from this life into the next, we will be united with the Lord and we will see him in his glory. A glory that Moses wanted to see, but he had to be hid in the cleft of a rock as the Lord passed by him and he caught the afterglow. I mean, his face was beaming. He had to cover it. Freaked out the people. Then you see a glimpse of this glory on the Mount of Transfiguration as the disciples are there and Jesus is transformed, transfigured, metamorphosized is the word, in front of them. And they said, Lord, we need to build three tents and just stay up here, is what Peter suggested. They got a glimpse of the glory. But folks, one day, we will no longer be separated by time or space. We will see the glory of God that the Bible reveals outshines the very sun in its brightness. The Bible tells us in Revelation that when we are there with the Lord in heaven, there's no need for the sun because the glory of God is the light that will be on us and around us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us, the Bible says. You have peace with God. You have access to the grace of God and you have joy and rejoicing in the coming glory of God. Let me just pause and say for a minute, these, just these first few blessings, you can't find these anywhere outside of Christ. People look for peace. People look for something to satisfy them. You can't find it. It's already here. Too often as believers, we're looking outside of what we already have. We don't realize it's right in front of us. It's right here, more than we could ever desire outside of the Lord. We're going to be in the presence of the glory of God, and what a day that will be. This gives you hope at the present time. You know that there's a brighter day coming. When Paul speaks of the joy of coming glory, you would think, well, that must be all that there is. These blessings are, but then he, he shares even more. There's more to tell. In fact, he says in verse three, and not only that, that's a way of saying, but wait, there's more. Really, there's more? There is, and here it is. We also glory in tribulation. Oh, there it is. I knew there was a catch. I knew, I knew. So great, peace, joy, hope, all this great stuff. Grace, glory, tribulation. I don't really like that word. The word tribulation is the Greek word thalipsis, and it means a Pressing together, pressure, affliction, straits, 
distress. It is a pressure that is applied when olives are being squeezed in order to get the commodity of oil from them. Maybe you thought when you came to Christ, all your problems would disappear. And now you realize you have more problems (laughs) when you came to Christ. Maybe you thought, I won't have a struggle anymore. But now you realize the struggle is real. And you're engaged in it. There's a spiritual battle going on. You're caught, we're caught between heaven and hell. And this battle is all around us. It is real. It's a fight, the Bible calls it. This Christian life. You know, there are promises found in God's word. I would say that are less desirable than others. Ones that you may not typically highlight or crochet on an Afghan or put on a t-shirt, such as those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I haven't seen that one worn around. I've seen the ones, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, it's all, hey, listen, future and a hope, amen. How about trials and tribulations? Nobody's wearing that, but I'm saying it's a real promise Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are you, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. He said, be excited about it. Rejoice, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in great company. Now, this doesn't mean I'm thankful for the tribulation or the trial, but I can find reason to rejoice in the midst of it. I can find reasons to glorify God in the midst of it. I think of the disciples when they were standing before the Sanhedrin. They were beaten for their testimony. And when they left, Acts chapter 5 tells us, they went out rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. I think of what Paul said in writing there to the Corinthians. He said, I'm going to boast in my weakness For Christ's sake, he said, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Peter said to the struggling church that he was writing to in his first epistle, he told them to rejoice when they participate in Christ's sufferings, that they should be happy when they are insulted for his sake. This isn't being irrational, by the way. It's not being fanatical. Christians don't glory in suffering as such as just for its own sake, but because of what the Bible tells us about suffering, what the Bible tells us about trials that we go through. What, why, how, how is it? Because it's probably a big question mark right about now. How, how, can you, how does a person glory in tribulation? How does a person find reason to rejoice in the midst of hardship? That's a good question. The reason we can find joy in the midst of hardship or give God glory in the midst of tribulation is because we know that something is being produced within us, that God is using what he's allowing me to go through for a higher purpose that I don't often understand or see in the moment that I'm going through it. I think of what It says here, knowing that tribulation, here's what you know, and this is why you can rejoice. You have a knowledge of something, therefore you're able to go through it. Here's what you know. You know that tribulation produces, first of all, perseverance. Perseverance. It means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. 
It's the characteristic of a person who is unswerved from their deliberate purpose even in the midst of greatest trial and suffering. The verb form of this word means this, to remain under trials in a God-honoring way so as to learn the lesson that they are sent to teach rather than to attempt to get out from under them in an effort to be relieved of their pressure. It's the knowledge of something. Something's being produced in me. Yes, this is difficult. Yes, this is painful. This is hard to, to endure, but I know something's being produced. There is a result that's coming. Think about it. The Bible likens the Christian, listen carefully, to an athlete, to a farmer, to a soldier. All of them. Each one of those individuals has to put in certain days' work, hardship, go through difficulty, but they know that something will be the result. The farmer sows the seed. He labors. He toils in that field because he knows a crop is being produced. He has a knowledge of something that's going to take place. The soldier goes through the training, through the boot camp, through all the things that he has to endure because he knows he's going to be equipped when the fight takes place to have victory in the midst of it. The athlete endures rigorous training and strict diet, all the things he has to go through because he knows that to go through it in the way that he is is going to produce the gold medal at some point. There is a knowledge of something that is coming, and in that reason, he can rejoice even in the midst of hardship. I think of Jeremiah the prophet, who was called the weeping prophet. And he wept because nobody really got converted in 40 years of ministry. You would weep too. I would. But he got discouraged and frustrated. And this is what the Lord said to him. He said, Jeremiah, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, what will you do when the horses come? I mean, if, if right now in the beginning stages, you're finding this, listen, it, he's saying to his prophet, it's not gonna get any easier. What's happening to you is there is something being built into you. You're, you're learning to endure by what you are experiencing, what you're going through. Not only perseverance is being developed, endurance, but also something on the a high priority on God's list. How about this? Character. <laughs> character. Godly character. It's experience. It's, it speaks of tried integrity. A state of mind which has stood a test. Godly character is built by learning to trust in God in difficult times. Learning to cling to God when no one else is there. This is the way that character is forged into the life of the child of God. It's forged through fire. Again, I point to scripture for these examples. Think of Daniel. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Forged in the fire, literally, for at least three of them. I mean, all that they went through, the character that was developed as they learned to trust in God. Think about Joseph. He starts out having these amazing dreams, gets a sweet coat, but his brothers hate him, put him in a pit. He ends up in a prison only to be elevated to the palace. But in that whole process of his life, the Old Testament gives a commentary and tells us that iron was being put into his soul. In the process. What I'm saying to you this morning, I say to myself, there's no shortcuts to godly character. These are things that are developed through what God allows. And it is with that mindset, it's with that knowledge that I can rejoice. 
If I didn't know these things were being produced in me, if I didn't trust that God had a higher purpose that I couldn't see, there would be no rejoicing. But it is because I know this that I am able to rejoice. I think about Job. I don't really like to think about Job very much. I mean, I don't mind reading the book and seeing what he went through. I just don't want to repeat that myself. But Job, untold hardships, unprecedented pain that he endured to losing his 10 children in one accident. They're all gone. Losing his physical health. The only thing that remained was his wife, and she was no help. It's like, why did God take all these? But he left her. She told him, why don't you curse God and die, Job? I mean, that's not encouraging when you're struggling. Job wouldn't do it, but this is what Job said. This is so powerful. Here's the knowledge I'm talking about. Job said this, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, that's the understanding. Job was the same man that said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Peter, again, writing to the church that was scattered abroad, suffering tremendous persecution, he said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. I often ask the Lord, how long is a little while? That's up to him. You've been grieved by various trials. Why? For what purpose? Look at it. That the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and the honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can rejoice and triumph in trial when you know that these things are being produced in you. There is only one group of people that is able to say all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. No one else can say that except those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians in chapter four. And listen carefully. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Our light affliction is for a moment, but notice it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you see that? It's working. It's working something in me. It's producing something within me. And it is with that in mind that I can say, all right, Lord, I choose to rejoice. And this produces within me a hope that does not disappoint. I have seen, you have experienced God bringing you through and he will be there to bring you through again. One man said this, I don't like the crises, but I do like the opportunities that they provide. And there is such opportunity to learn things that we would not normally learn, see things we would not normally see when the disciples were in the midst of one of the greatest storms where they thought they were going to drown. When Jesus came out and he spoke 
to the wind and the waves and immediately they were calm. It said right after that, they all got down on their faces in the boat and began to worship Jesus. They would have never seen Jesus manifest his power in that way had they not been in the storm. It reveals something more about God. It reveals something more about ourselves. And therefore, we can find hope. And this hope that we have does not disappoint. What are the blessings of being justified by faith? Peace with God. Access to the grace of God. Joy in the coming glory of God. And understanding that I can triumph in my trials through the faithfulness of God. And if that weren't enough, Paul says in verse 5, this hope doesn't disappoint. Why doesn't it disappoint? He says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by his Holy Spirit who was given to us. Peace of God, grace of God, the glory of God. And now he speaks of the love of God. And this love of God, it says here, it's poured out upon us through the Holy Spirit. And when God pours out his love upon you, he doesn't pour it out with an eyedropper. Come here a second. You need a little love? Boop. All right, you're good. You're good, huh? He pours it out. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you only knew this morning how much God loves you. The love of God. By faith, we have this love manifest. You can't even begin to understand the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of God's love. Paul said to the Ephesians, that surpasses knowledge. This love of God. Paul speaks about this love of God. And he really reveals how unparalleled, unprecedented it is in the way in which it has been demonstrated to us. Look at the next verse. In verse 6, talk about this love. It says, when we were, and I love that it's in the past tense, still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Uh, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Oh, look at verse eight, and I'd encourage you to memorize this one. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? What does it look like, this love of God? Paul says it was given to us when we were without strength, literally hopeless, when we were ungodly. It wasn't when you were living for God that God said, you know what? I love that guy. You know what? I'm going to pour out my love on that guy. He is so wicked. I am going to bless him, love him. No. I mean, it wasn't when we were doing really well, when we were serving God, and look at all he's doing for me. Look at he's digging wells. Look at he's, he's feeding the homeless. Look at all the great things he's doing. You know what? I love that guy. No, God loved us, listen carefully, when we were at our worst, when we were haters of God, enemies of God, rebelling against God, destitute, hopeless, at that strategic time, God sent his son to die in our place. This is a very logical argument. He, he just, Paul just presents it in this way. 
It's possible. It's possible that a person would lay down their life in the place of someone else. It's possible. It's rare because honestly, for most of us, when danger comes, one thing kicks in initially, self-preservation. Women and children first, after me. I mean, it just kicks in. Initially, something happens and you just immediately, self-preservation, it's a natural instinct that we have. I don't naturally say, I'll take the bullet. I just, you know, you run from it. Rarely, there will be someone who will be willing to sacrifice themselves for someone else. A friend of mine who's a Navy SEAL, who'll be with us at the men's conference in November, told me a story of one of his comrades who when a grenade came up, immediately, instinctively, one of the men jumped on it with his body and took the impact, saving the lives of everybody who was in that place at that moment, immediately jumped on it, spared everybody's life. I mean, that's rare. That rarely happens, but it was instinctive. It was something built in to take it for everybody else. But that's rare. In comparison to that, here it says, look at it now, God sent his son to die for the ungodly. There wasn't any good. There wasn't any righteous. This is the worst of the worst. He sent his son to die for us. In other words, what Paul is saying by giving us this illustration is God's love for you and for me that has been demonstrated through the death of Christ is unparalleled, unprecedented. There's nothing that compares to it. You can't find anything. Even in a rare occasion, even that doesn't compare to what God's done for us. That is the kind of love that has been poured out in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Friends, listen, Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. There's just no comparison. This is the kind of love that God has for us today. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. When you understand the love that God has given to us wasn't based upon what we did or anything we could ever do to earn it, it, it really should spark within us worship and adoration and gratitude and humility and worship. Any person who would turn their back on this kind of love is foolish. For a person to go to hell, they're going to have to run through the love of God to get there. A love they could never find anywhere else. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to fight through the love of God to get there because God has demonstrated his love. You have peace with God, access to the grace of God, joy in the coming glory of God, triumph in your trials through the faithfulness of God, the pouring out of unprecedented love of God. And if that weren't enough, wait, there's more. And here it is. That's why he says in verse nine, much more. Someone called chapter five of Romans the chapter of much mores. Much more having now been justified by his blood, look at this, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Here's another blessing. Saved from the wrath of God. Because we've been brought into a right standing with God, 
we will not experience his wrath. And if you do not know about the wrath of God, you may want to read the last book of the Bible. And there is a clear description of the coming wrath of God upon a Christ-rejecting world. You don't hear much about the wrath of God from the pulpit today, but it is in the Bible. There is coming a day when God will judge the earth. And the Bible says he'll judge it with fire. The wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience, the Bible says. Those that are storing up for themselves wrath in the day of judgment. Eternal wrath. But when you receive Christ by faith and trust in what he did on the cross, you're saved from the wrath of God. Not been appointed unto wrath now, but unto salvation, the Bible tells us. Saved from the wrath of God. I'm so thankful today that although I deserve God's wrath, he has shown me grace. Though I deserve to be judged, though I deserve to spend eternity in hell, Jesus took my place so that I am no longer a son of wrath, but a child of God. That's reason to praise him, friend. Because without that, we would be lost for eternity. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Peace with God, access to the grace of God, joy in the coming glory of God, triumph in trials through the faithfulness of God, pouring out of the love of God, saved from the wrath of God, and finally for this morning, reconciled to God. It says, for if when, verse 10, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? Through the death of his son. Much more, there it is, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, wait, there's more, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation is not something that man does, but something man receives. There was no opportunity for reconciliation. Man could not be reconciled to God apart from the work of Christ. Without the work of Christ, there is no reconciliation. But through the work of Christ, man who was formerly alienated from God, separated from God, has now been reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. The wrath of God has been satisfied through the atoning work of Christ and in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus, man is reconciled to God and our relationship has now changed from being an enemy to being a friend. When you come to understand the glorious benefits of knowing Jesus by faith, trusting in the finished work of Christ, it leaves you in awe. He died for the helpless. He saves the sinner. He justifies the ungodly. He reconciles us to himself. We are saved by his 
life. How do all of these blessings become ours? By faith. (laughs) That's the thing that blows me away. I'm just, by believing. That's it. That's it. By trusting in Christ. All of these things are yours. People are looking for peace through a place that they visit or a position they get in and try to conjure up some mental picture of peace. Guys, we have peace with God and the peace of God. We have unmerited favor today. We stand in grace. We have joy in the coming glory of God. This isn't the end. This is just a temporary stop along the way. We can triumph in the midst of trials because God is faithful. We can experience pouring out of God's love. We have experienced and do experience his love being poured out upon us by the Spirit, saved from his wrath, reconciled to God, saved by his life. May God help us not to take for granted these blessings, but to rejoice in them. These aren't found anywhere else. Nothing can compare to these. And they're all found in Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? (sighs) Heavenly Father, this morning we are in awe of what you have done for us. Lord, forgive us when we have taken for granted or lost sight of the blessings that you've provided. Lord, nothing can compare. And I pray if there are any here this morning, for some reason, Lord, they have not yet responded to your grace your invitation to salvation, that today would be the day. And as you're seated here and eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you're sitting here saying, you know, I've never received Christ, I've never responded, then I would encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord today to just say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I'm not gonna fight with you any longer. I don't wanna be at war with you. I want to be at peace with you. I want to be standing in grace today, saved from wrath, saved by your life. And you receive him by faith and you'll be born again, the Bible says, made into a brand new person. Just call upon him today. Lord, we thank you. Go before us this week, Lord. Help us to rejoice Rest in these promises, Lord, these blessings that are ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us this morning? Friend, I hope you're encouraged today to know all the blessings that are yours. If you came in this morning thinking, I got nothing going on in my life, you are blessed in Christ. Rest in these things this week. Praise God for for these things.
Rejoice in them. Stand in them. They're yours. If you need prayer today after the service, I'd encourage you to come up. Be pastors. I would love to pray for you. Encourage you in your walk with the Lord today. If not, I pray you have a beautiful week. As a country, we celebrate the freedoms that we have. What an amazing thing that I would encourage you as you think of all the freedoms that we possess that you'd be reminded of the freedom in Christ for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a beautiful week.